Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm here today with Melinda Fugate, who is a children's ministry worker here in Southern California. And she's also somebody who has struggled with her own mental health. So she's here today to talk about a little bit of how churches can support people with mental health conditions and also what it's like to be a staff member um, who is dealing with mental health. So welcome, Melinda. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I also didn't mention in that little intro that you're also an author. So we're going to be talking about your books today, too. So um, let's just dive in. Can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis and how you came to have that diagnosis and when that was and what was happening in your life at that time? Yeah, um, for the longest time, um, I had been diagnosed with depression. And it was in college that they noticed the pattern because it seemed like, oh, I'm doing so well. And then I just fall back down again. Um, and they reevaluated and I was diagnosed as bipolar two. Um, and so that was a little bit of a switch, I think mostly because of the stigma and being a college student and insecure. Um but number one, looking back, I can see those patterns even in like middle school. So mm-hmm. definitely on target with the diagnosis. And it was actually a little comforting once I had a name for it because then I knew what to do about it. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit if you know, or I can chime in with a little bit of education about bipolar one versus bipolar two? Um, if I remember correctly, bipolar one tends to be um, more with the mania side of things and a little bit bigger or more intense. Bipolar two, um, especially in my experience, has leaned more towards depression. And then you get hypomania, which is not as intense as mania and frankly can be very helpful when you are a busy person. <laughs> yeah. Hypomania, hypomania, just like a little bit of <laughs> of mania, meaning like this uh higher energy higher creativity and so those those periods of time when you're hypomanic can feel like wow i'm so productive or i have all these creative ideas and 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 it's actually part of the illness but it feels good while you're in it right it does until it gets just a little too intense and then it's counterproductive and then no thank you yeah okay and uh, so you're saying that back in middle school, you probably had these patterns of having like kind of like repetitive episodes of depression where there would be a, a reprieve and things would be great. And then it comes again and again. Right. Yeah. I even remember a time in high school where somebody told me, oh, it sounds like you just need attention because I was so up. And then a few weeks later, it was depression to the point where it was alarming. Um, so no diagnosis then, but it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas somebody that is diagnosed just with like major depressive disorder might just 
feel like more steady, like down for a longer period of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in college, you said you were dealing with kind of like this new idea that you were a person with bipolar and what did that mean? And how do other people think about that? And so at that time, like, was your course of treatment like therapy and meds or how, how did you deal with it? Um, I was limited to our school counseling center. Um, so there wasn't so much at that time meds until I got a job and had health insurance and things like that. And so my journey has been kind of up and down. Um, I've seen different therapists, some helpful, some not. I've tried what feels like every medication available, um, but it's been a lot of trial and error over the years. Mm-hmm. And so now as an adult working, having a job, you know, working, uh, um, you are you feeling like it's more under control or is it still kind of like something you have to think about a lot? A little bit of both, but it's definitely more under control. I have a great therapist, a fabulous doctor, and family and friends are amazingly supportive. So that kind of reins it in. Um, that being said, I'm not just coasting along stable all the time. There are still a lot of ups and downs, but it's way less scary now that I've got so many people who are supportive and encouraging. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like your church experience? Um, maybe, you know, you mentioned to me the church that you're in is very supportive, but how has it been being in church this whole time with the diagnosis? Hey, I, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I've been in church situations that are supportive, but I've also been in church situations where things are very much spiritualized. And I've, I came to find out that a lot of it was lack of information. So it's more, you know, a decade or two ago, actually probably close to two decades ago when it was the most challenging because people weren't talking about mental health as much and depression or anxiety, that's pretty common. But then when you get into something like bipolar, people just have what TV or movies have sensationalized and that's all they have to go on. And the people who are loving Jesus and trying to understand the world through the framework of a biblical worldview when you're, you don't have a lot of information, it's easy to spiritualize everything and not factor in biological factors or knowledge that we have now. So all that to say, um, things were a little messy back, you know, when I was first diagnosed and over the years, it's been a gradual, um, gradual shift where people are more aware who are listening more and being more proactive on how to care for people with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And did you always work in church ministry? I've always volunteered in church ministry. I've been in my current ministry position for, I believe, 13 years now. Um, But before that, I was working, you know, occasional odd jobs. I worked at a Christian radio station for a while, Um, but I've always been connected to the church, particularly children's ministry. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the challenges for someone who works in a ministry context and deals with uh, an illness like bipolar? I think the first one is the pressure to always be okay. Like we have to have a strength because we're supporting other people, but also there's this underlying assumption that we need to be positive and always on. 
Um, and to a like certain point, like that makes sense, but we have to balance being authentic and real as well. Um, and then you throw in professionalism. There's still an amount of professionalism within the church and working with kids. You want to keep everything age appropriate and be able to function and do your job. And sometimes when episodes get really intense, it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning um, or on the flip side, like I make a lot of mistakes when I am manic and that is not very convenient. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of that as well as. I mean, any ministry professional, ministry professional sounds wrong, but anybody (laughs) in ministry, um, there's a balance between like how much self-disclosure do you do? Like you want to relate to people, but you also want to keep relationships. um, Again, professional is the wrong word, but a balance between these things. So when you're struggling with mental health and you're not quite in a clear headspace, those lines get blurred and it's more difficult to keep that balance. Have you received feedback like from families that you're working, ministering with? I was floored by the positive support that I got, not mm-hmm. because um, I expected anything different from our church families because they're wonderful, but because of all the stigma, because of past reactions, I thought I need to hide everything. But sometimes it got to the point where it was impossible to hide everything. And I thought for, I thought at one point I was going to lose my job. Um, but instead, it was listening ears, asking questions, trying to understand, and even practical things like bringing meals or going for a walk in the park. Or It was a very um, outward sign of love and compassion that I didn't fully expect, but made a huge difference. Yeah. It sounds like in the church community that you're part of that it's really treated like, you know, how we, how we respond when somebody has a surgery or somebody is going through an illness, like people are actually coming around you to care for you, not shaming or stigmatizing you. Absolutely. And I think it helps that we're a small church. So we do know each other on a personal level. We know everybody's names. We are able to find out what's, you know, the thing to do that's supportive instead of, you know, rumors flying around or miscommunication that just naturally happens when you have a lot of people trying to understand what's happening. Um, So definitely the family structure of our church was something that was, it's a gift. It's very much a gift. Would you say in your small church, is mental health something that's talked about like in sermons or like how do you create this culture of like talking about mental health? I don't think I've heard about it in a sermon. It's not talked about like on an official level, um, but one-on-one it it comes up. I think it depends person to person. It's very relational. Um, Our women's Bible study is a small group and they've walked through all of these things over the past decade. And so that's very open. And I've been able to have one-on-one conversations with quite a few people. Um, There's never anything really in a official context. It just, not that anybody's, I think, resistant to it. It just hasn't come up that way. Okay. I know that a lot of people would probably assume that a small church could be even a harder place to go through something like this, where in a larger church, you can kind of be a little bit more anonymous or even that there might be more resources. But you're telling me that 
your experience in a small church has been more healing for you than some of the other systems that you were part of. It really has. And again, I didn't expect it. I expected that, okay, I can't hide like I could in a larger church. And if things didn't go that way, you know, who knows what the like repercussions would have been as far as, you know, would people want me to work with their kids anymore? Would they want me to still have their job? And so it felt like a risk. It really did. And it really, now I see God's hand in it. Like it was a nudge kind of thing, but it felt super scary at the time to say, I I can't hide things anymore. And honestly, the pressure, like the pressure of trying to hide everything and keep everything appearing well, I didn't realize how heavy that was. And the freedom that came with being able to be open has been incredible. Mm. But I don't know like how to share, like, here's the criteria. So you know that this is a safe space because it feels like testing the waters with a person at a time seems to be the the boundaries, what's safe and easing into that feels a little less scary than being dropped into it and hoping for the best. That's, I think that's wise. You have to kind of like test with some people before you (laughs) just come all out with everyone. Oh, yes. (laughs) What would be some ways that you think that your bipolar has kind of added to your church community as a body or as to the children's ministry? Like what are what are some ways that it's actually an advantage for you? I think one gift, if, you know, we can say that mental illness has any gifts, um, but one gift has been feeling things like deeply, Mm -hmm. um, as well as developing a lot of empathy, not just for people in my own situation, but being able to listen and really put myself in other people's shoes because I've walked this journey. And one that helps me relate, it helps me listen better. Um, It helps, you know, be comforting, be understanding. And it also kind of helps when we're teaching, because we can try to say, okay, these are people with on the pages of the Bible, but they're real people with real feelings and real experiences. What would it be like to be in their shoes? And that's been actually a great teaching tool, um, especially with imaginative kids who have lots of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of brings that to light. Um, And also really hope, and I think to an extent, I've seen this a little, that because we need that solidarity. And so if somebody is also struggling with mental health and they see, okay, she's going through that and she's being loved and accepted. One, I can talk to her about it, but also I can see what to expect from our church family. So kind of taking that step forward, it kind of opens a path for anybody else also struggling. Um, So those I think are the, the main two ways, but you know, little things like all the energy that comes with being hypomanic, which sometimes comes greatly timed before an event. Those are sometimes little perks that you're appreciative of. (laughs) If you've listened to the Soul Grip podcast for even one episode, you know my guests and I believe that when we integrate the power of God with the wisdom of modern psychology, we get supercharged healing, change, and growth in counseling. As a Christian therapist, however, I realize that there are many practitioners out there who are personally Christians but don't know how to integrate their faith into their counseling practices. That's why I created the eCourse, 
faith integration for therapists. In this premium five-module course, therapists who love Jesus will learn everything from understanding their calling to marketing their practices to Christians to adapting evidence-based interventions to honor our faith. You can learn more about the online course at www.soulgritresources.com courses and send an email to info at soulgritresources.com to receive a discount code. I do think it's important for our kids to be like around people. Like I think as a society, we've kind of come to this idea of like uh, people with disabilities, like we'll make a a wheelchair ramp or we'll, you know, provide a a braille menu or something like that. But uh, we're maybe not as accommodating to a person who is struggling to regulate their mood or something like that, you Mm -hmm. know? Or a person who's crying when you don't think it should be time for crying, you know. And I do like uh, exposing my kids to people with um, different abilities in this area because um, I I like, you know, being able to have the conversations. So, mm-hmm. like, um, you have a lot of energy this day. Well, yeah, that's that's a good thing that you have a lot of energy. And sometimes after we have that like big burst of energy, then we kind of have a crash. And what does that mean? And, you know, like being able to talk to my young kids about those kinds of things that prepares them for interacting with people in the world after they leave my nest, you know, like they're going to have more compassion and understanding for people of all different um different brain styles, you know? <laughs> so I think that's really good. Yeah. And I, I think I heard somewhere on the internet, um, somebody explaining it to kids with bipolar is some days were like Tigger and some days were like Eeyore. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, okay, that's a good place to start. And one of the things I've been trying to listen and learn from the disability community is, you know, things like putting in wheelchair ramps and making things accessible. That's great. But then, for example, do we have stairs that go up to the platform at the front of the sanctuary? Therefore, people with disabilities aren't able to access leadership. And this, as far as, you know, mental health, like not just saying, oh, these are people who have mental health struggles. We love them. And they're kind of over here to the side, but they're part of our community. Like we are here, we're contributing, we are loving and sharing. And yes, our brains work a little differently, but we're still here. We're still part of things. Yeah. And that there's a a gift that you bring to the body of Christ regardless of what your mood's doing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So how would you advise for people who just really want to be able to do this well within their church community? What are some things that we could be doing in our local bodies to support people with mental illness? There is a lot to be said for the ministry of the Google search. That is a great place to start um, just to learn, you know, the basics, because then things are less foreign and less scary. And then when you go to step two, which is to listen and be in conversation with people, you have a little bit of a baseline so that you're hearing and understanding. And I think those two like beginning things are extremely powerful and extremely loving. And just because the fact that somebody cares enough to learn and cares enough to listen and engage, that's huge. And from that, 
and that goes with anybody, whether it's mental illness or disability or situational thing, like across the board, learning and listening are number one, like that's where you start, but are so big, but everybody has different individual needs. So for me, sometimes it's been, you know, needing meals or needing to get out in fresh air or needing a little grace when I'm making a lot of mistakes. Um, but for somebody else, it could be completely different needs. So being active and listening and then applying what we're learning and hearing, that's an incredible way to love our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like churches need to do something like more programmatic or do you feel like it's more just in these one-to-one relationships? I think it depends on the church because every church has a different demographic, a different personality, different needs. If you're finding in your church that there are quite a few people who are struggling with mental health or even people who care about somebody struggling with mental health, then a program would be a great idea. Um, however, if you don't have a lot of people who are feeling and comfortable enough to talk about their diagnosis, or even if you don't have a lot of people with a mental health diagnosis, singling out a program just doesn't make sense. And then that one-on-one is definitely a better way to be supportive. So the, I don't think there are any easy, definitive answers. It's really trying to feel out what fits your congregation and where the Lord's calling you to ministry. Have you seen, as as you've described, your church is very accepting and supportive. Have you seen that, like, attracting other people that are also struggling in this way? I haven't really seen that yet, because I don't know how, this is a question that's making me think, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how visible these things are unless you are getting to know people in our church. Again, our church is very small, so we don't have we don't have an outward ministry that's being advertised. It would be if somebody was beginning to join our church and then got to know people and then see like, oh, this is something we're open about, we're talking about, then yes, that would be fabulous and happening. But I don't know how visible that is. Um, to the immediate outside. There's nothing on our website. We don't have any programs. So it's, it's not as flashy or flashy is not the word, but it's not as well advertised. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking like locally, I know of a church that, you know, started out with a couple of families that had kids with special needs. And then because that it was going well for them there. Like the church was very um, gracious towards those families and how that like there might be noise disruptions or that people might need to be standing up instead of sitting down or like, like different things like that. Um, It attracted other families that also have special needs kids because they they felt like this is a place where we can fit in. Whereas other churches, we were maybe like, uh, it just wasn't accessible or there was a, a, a singled out program that, that my kid has to go into this class instead of this class, or, you know, it, it wasn't something where they felt like they fit in the, in the average local church. And so this is a really important ministry that this church is having for these families. Um, and I think that there are probably all over our communities like there may be a church that really does well with celebrate recovery and so they have a big recovery crowd that's coming in or a church that does really well with like military vets and so they have a big population you know and so it's interesting that our churches can kind of like unintentionally develop 
almost a niche like that where we serve really well people who have this particular characteristic in their life and so i don't think necessarily like it sounds like your church is not setting out to be a place for people with mental health issues but it just has naturally become a place where you've felt accepted and loved yes absolutely and i think Also, if a church is thinking, oh, we want to welcome more people who are on this walk of life, getting involved with any local organizations. I know NAMI has a lot that happens in a lot of communities. Um, Stepping outside the walls of our church and just learning, listening, volunteering, being a part, that can open so many doors for future ministry and then being a place where it's a community for people who have shared struggles. Yeah. So you mentioned NAMI, uh, that's the National Alliance for Mental Illness, right? Did I say the right? I believe so, yeah. (laughs) So used to the acronym. Mostly, um, that's a really great support for families who have a loved one that has a mental illness. Um, And there are some other organizations, like we mentioned, we're both here in Southern California, like um, Saddleback Church has the um, hope for mental health in the church. And so there are some organizations that are um, working in this area that we we could partner with. But you also mentioned your step one was Google. Do you have (laughs) any any websites that you love or or resources that you would want to share with people? I'm really big on seeing as many sources as possible so that I can compare and like, because also on the internet, there's so much misinformation. So having to compare and see, okay, these have a lot of things in common. So this sounds pretty solid plus conversations with therapists, doctor, and other people who are knowledgeable. Um, There's, I believe one called BP hope. That's kind of a magazine um, that focuses on bipolar. And I found some great resources Um, the mighty, I believe it's called. I found some resources on there. I haven't very much recently, but in the past, absolutely. But for me, it's just like skipping a rock across the pond and hitting different sources and getting a wide view of what people are experiencing. Yeah. It might be interesting. Like if you come across a website like that and you say, well, I read this thing and I didn't know this. And then like maybe going to that person that you know has that diagnosis and saying, is this true for you too? Yeah, that's a great idea. It opens up conversation. It helps us learn, like, especially with our mental health journeys vary so much, like people can have the same diagnosis and completely different experiences. So that personalization, that's huge. Yeah. Good. Well, I know one of your big strengths is your creativity and that you, you know, have a degree in communications and you were able to use some of these skills and experiences to funnel that into writing. So tell us a little bit about your writing. I haven't actually written on mental health, but I have written about things that have affected mental health. (laughs) I started out writing kids ministry stuff since that's kind of where I'm immersed in my job. And so I wrote a devotional for kids that was self-published, but then in my own journey of Bible study and just seeking the Lord, I started a project about um, looking at all the 316 verses in the Bible and what they all have to do with God's love. Not that it's a magical number, but everything in God's word points to his love because God is love. So it just seemed like a good sampler. And that project became a published book. 
and learning about God's love, like it's such a foundation, like everything else like comes back to that. We can take those risks. We can reach out to people. We can have more security knowing that even in our brokenness, even in our struggles, God's love does not change. And it is so strong. It covers all of that. Um, And so, yeah, that's just spilled over into writing and it's been a blessing to be able to share that and hopefully bring some hope and encouragement to others. Mm, That's great. And so people can find your books like on Amazon or I'll probably list your website in the show notes so they can see what they're looking forward to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just my name, melindafugate.com points to all that, but um, the books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pretty much everywhere at bookshop.org, which is great because you can support your local bookstore at the same time um, all over the place. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit, just because I'm a mom of young kids, tell us a little bit about the devotional that you wrote. I am a big fan of hands-on experiences. And I feel like the kids I've worked with, kids across the board, like we're not wired to sit in a chair and listen and retain everything. Adults don't even do that great at that. So the devotional that I wrote is called Bible Time for Active Kids. And it starts with scripture. It has a little bit of analysis discussion, like a paragraph. And then it has two activities that go with whatever the lesson is. For instance, with the Tower of Babel, actually building a tower. Um, The parable of the sower, like let's sow seeds in these different environments and see what grows. Um, And that way it brings up conversation. It brings things to mind. It brings things to memory. And hopefully that experience helps us relate. And it's the tangibility of God's word is amazing. So the more hands-on we have, the better. Perfect. That sounds really fun because I do have little boys that are not really like, (laughs) let's just sit and talk about something. (laughs) Nope. I'm not that way either. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I really appreciate your contribution to this conversation and um, the work that you're doing. And um, I love hearing that you're in a healthy church body that's really supporting you because I, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast have probably had experiences where they didn't feel loved and supported by their local church. And so it's, I just, you know, we can both encourage people that it's out there and yes, Test the waters, try it again, pray about it. Yeah, I feel like God will guard our hearts and things might not always be easy. There may be times when we're testing the waters and it doesn't go so well. But as we take that step by step, I really believe that he's working and he is, he's a relational God and he puts us in community. Yeah. So as always, I like to ask my guests, what are you doing for soul care? Uh, soul care. So important. Um, I think the traditional being in prayer and being in God's word is, is very key for me. Once I am kind of straying from that, I notice a difference, but I live near the beach and that is a beautiful place for soul care. So that is, I try to walk and take my dog there pretty regularly for some fresh air and ocean therapy. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a beach girl too. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing from your heart. Thank you so much. These conversations are such a blessing. And I'll have all of Melinda's links in the show notes and you guys can check her out and see the work that she's doing. And 
Um, hopefully that will be a blessing for other people too. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.